On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are heading out to Saskatchewan to talk about the sentencing hearing for the Humboldt tragedy. A rather remarkable day in court as the wife of the head coach who was killed offered forgiveness to the guy who drove the truck. We'll talk about that. It's an interesting, interesting position, interesting thing that she was able to do. We're also going to be chatting with Diana Panton, who is a Hamilton woman, a singer, a teacher, just got nominated for her sixth Juno Award. She's already won two. One of the most successful, the most famous, the best jazz vocalists in this country. Apparently all jazz vocalists in Canada have to be named Diana. Don't understand that one. And we talked to Bubba O'Neill about baseball and about the NBA. Is the NBA broken? You'll understand the question. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I want to start today with the ongoing saga of a very sad story that everybody across this country has been following and paying attention to for almost a year now. That would be the Humboldt story. I don't need to give you any background. If you need background at this point, well, it's probably probably too late to jump in uh, because we are now at the sentencing phase. There was a sentencing hearing going on today. I want to bring in Richard Cloutier, who's a reporter with CJOB Radio, who's covering the sentencing. Richard, thanks for doing this today. You bet. It's been a day of a lot of raw emotion here in Melfort and a real range of emotion. In some cases, uh, forgiveness. In other cases, still a lot of anger here. I want to get to that. Let me just start with a bit of the news first that may, people may not have known, and I certainly want to get to that part because I understand that in addition to the sentencing today that the RCMP forensics information came out, and it, it had some interesting things about the driver, about Jaskarat Sidhu. Uh, and I, I won't go into all of them, obviously, but one of them was that apparently he had an awful lot of violations on his record that were outstanding. Is that correct? Upwards of 70. In the days and weeks leading up to the April 6th crash, he failed to fill out his logs. Now, you would think that that's not huge, but when you look at the totality of it, it all adds up to what a lot of the parents here are saying is somebody that wasn't trained properly and somebody that was arrogant towards the process. So, yeah, had he been pulled over by authorities, by inspectors, by the RCMP, based on his uh, lack of uh, paperwork, he would have been suspended for upwards of 72 hours. You can read all about it at globalnews.ca. But essentially, the RCMP forensic report, the reconstruction report, tells you about the crash scene, the specifics of the crash scene, and gives you background on Sidhu and um, all those violations. And and like the, the crash scene stuff, and again, people can read it online, it's, it's, it's horrible, a lot of it. Uh, just before we get back to the courtroom, any ex- explanation why he was, those things weren't checked, why he wasn't taken off the road, why he wasn't investigated or found? One of those situations where you have an industry that is self-regulated, that you are hoping that there are professional drivers. I think what has emerged here is that this was a company, and they're facing charges in a Calgary courtroom next week, uh, that uh, they did not pay attention to the rules mm. of the road. And in this case, the extreme, somebody going through the stop sign. The big unknown here is why he yes. went through that stop sign. All sorts of warnings there, but boom, he blew that stop sign upwards of 96 kilometers an hour. Do we? Is there any th- reason, that w- do we believe that he is going to speak at some point and offer some kind of explanation? I think there is a hope. 
uh, I don't think there's a belief. There is a hope that uh, either his lawyer or he will speak uh, to the court to offer some sort of explanation to say that he is sorry. Interestingly enough, in the two cases of forgiveness today, one, uh, the former coach's wife looked at him and coming up on Global News, we have an exclusive with her. Um, our global national colleague uh, just finished interviewing her. And, you know, talking about the whole idea of forgiveness and the fact that Sidhu is a man that um, that she decided, based on her family's faith, that they could forgive. Um, another billet father, um, a chap by the name of, of Jefferson, had said it's according to his faith that he needs to forgive that as a Christian, it's been a process for him. It's been a journey, but he needs to forgive. But I gather one of the most poignant moments was about um, the parents, uh, former NHLer Chris Joseph, um, about his son Jackson. Chris pulled out a pair of socks, the socks he took from the feet of his son's lifeless body. Very poignant part of today's testimony. His wife, Jackson's mother, Andrea, looked at Sidhu and said, you're an arrogant, inconsiderate monster. She can't forgive. She wants 14 years for every life that he took, so 14 times 16. They want to see changes. Transport Canada is going through those changes. You're going to see some of those changes in the weeks and months ahead about those logs. But from the Joseph's anger, and they're nowhere near forgiveness. It, it creates a, a really, I would think, a very unusual circumstance where you have those two extremes in the same courtroom for the same crime from the same victims. But, you know, as a group, they're there to support each other. They all talk about people on a journey and the range of emotions, but whether they feel forgiveness or whether they feel anger, they're hugging, they are there for each other, Um they are there in the courtroom. They're there in some of the hotels. Last night at one of the hotels, they said, you know, we'd like the hot tub. We'd like the meeting room. We stayed away. And um, this is good for them. You know that, that this is part of that journey. But I'll tell you, um, in some of these cases, not a dry, mm. dry face in, uh, in this makeshift courtroom, a gymnasium and a recreation center turned into a provincial courtroom. Richard, we only have 15 seconds. Uh, do we know how long the sentencing is going to continue on for and when the sentencing will actually happen? Tomorrow we get more victim impact statements. We'll get Defence and Crown on Thursday talking about sentencing recommendations. And I'm sure we're going to have a reserve decision. I can't imagine the judge making a quick determination. Richard Cloutier from CJOB Radio, who is covering the Humboldt sentencing. Richard, thanks for taking the time today. Appreciate it. You bet. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. They say it's spring. This feeling light as a feather. They say this thing. This magic we share together came with the weather too. They say it's May. Scott Radley Show here on 900 CHML. Uh, Juno nominations came out today for Canadian 
music excellence. And there's a lot of, Ham- well, a fair amount of Hamilton content that was out, um, mostly, weirdly, in one category. Apparently this city still knows how to rock, even though everyone says rock and roll is dead. Not in Hamilton. Uh, the Arkells, Monster Truck, and the Trues, who are originally from out east but now call Hamilton home, all nominated in the best rock album category. Three of the five nominees are from Hamilton. One of them's got to win, right? Uh, Arkells are also nominated for Group of the Year and Album Artwork, one of the more unique categories. I don't think there is one of those for the Grammys. Uh, White Horse is up for Adult Contemporary Album. A few other people, a bunch of others have heard their names read. And my next guest, who is already a two-time Juno winner, is up for another one in the Vocal Jazz category. By day, she is a French immersion teacher right across the street from where I'm sitting right now at Westdale High School. By night... She is an amazing singer. Her name is Diana Panton. She joins me. Diana, thanks for doing this today. Hi, thanks for having me on. I, I kind of, I, as I was saying it, I like that by day she is, it sounds like very superhero-ish <laughs> yeah. for, the, for a jazz singer. <laughs> my Clark Kent. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I think you should go with that now. Be introduced yeah. that way. And yeah. all uh, congratulations. That's a, an amazing thing Thank for you. you again. Again. Yeah, it was a... It was a big surprise. We had a snow day today, so I got to look at the stream online, and I was quite surprised when I saw it come through, so that was great. Yeah. Do you ever get used to it? Uh, no. I mean, I think you always hope, but you never know, and uh, I don't know why. I guess I just sort of had these little instinctual feelings sometimes, and I wasn't, I just wasn't, I didn't really have that feeling this time, so when it came through, I was really, it was really quite happy, yeah. How many, now you've won twice, you're up for another one. Mm-hmm. How many nominations have you had in total? I think this is my sixth. Well, you know you've had a lot if you've lost track yeah. of exactly. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing because everyone who's had one knows exactly yeah. how many they've had. So if you've had more than that and you can't remember exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, does it? do these things when you get one, they're very nice, but do they matter to you? Um, I think, you know, to when you kind of pour your heart and soul into making something, you know, it is always nice to get um, that kind of national level recognition. Um, not that you, not that you have to have it though. I mean, I always say that you, as an artist, you really need to know, I think in your heart of hearts that you've made something that you, that was the best of your ability, you know, without having that outside reinforcement, but it always feels good. And I would have to say that internationally, I think it does help, um, to have that national exposure because when you start going and playing in other countries, say, they sort of say, oh, well, you know, she's recognized in her country, so maybe we should check this out too. But have you ever had an album come out that hasn't received a Juno nomination? My very first one. But it actually later got a Silver Disc Award in Japan, so... Well, I'm just, no, but I'm wondering, and, and so every one of them now has been awarded. So that, you know, that's good. Keep the streak alive. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when one isn't given that honor, does it somehow make for you in your mind, does it make it seem like it was less successful or less good? Not in my mind. No, no. I like, I, honestly, like for me, they're like all my, ba- they're like my children. They're all like my babies. And, uh, and every one of those albums to me could have been, you know, should have been, I don't know if I can say that, but, you know, could have been nominated. And um, and I think actually there were two that weren't nominated, but they both ended up later on getting, they both ended up getting Silver Disc Awards in Japan. So that was funny. The two that didn't get nominated here got Silver Disc Awards in Japan. So hmm, when you never you, know. <laughs> well, when you're, when you're singing, when you're putting them together, though, now that you've been at this for a while, mm-hmm. do you have... I don't know. Can, can, can you tell as an artist when you're putting something together that's, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to put it on, you're not going to record it unless you think it's good, but can you tell when it's really good? 
I always aim for really good. <laughs> I know that sounds awful, but I, I really do. I mean, I, I think the expenditure and the time and the effort of the studio and the players that, you know, I'm bringing in, I, I can't go, I can't do anything less than that. You know, I, I always have to try and do the very best that I can. And I, and I, I feel proud of the fact that I think I can say that. And I, I don't really feel like I have any skeletons in my discography. <laughs> um, you know, if I go back and I listen to, you know, those albums that I started back in 2005, I, you know, I, you evolve as an artist, but I can honestly say even listening back then that that was the, that was my best. It was the best that I could do. And, Let me ask um, you a different way then, because yeah. it, at the end of a show, if I'm doing a show, at the end of the show, I, I'm putting everything I have to do the best show I can. But yeah. at the end, or if when I'm writing a column for the paper, I'm putting everything I can in to mm-hmm. make it good. But when I'm done, I can tell that this one was better than another one that I did. When you are finished, can you sometimes tell, you know, that, that album is going to get some kind of nomination for something because it was great? Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, let me put it this way. There is there were some times when I would say that I think an album might not have the same kind of mass um, mass appeal, and then I worry for it a little, you know, like a, like a parent would. You know, I've made it, and I'm wondering, will someone else hear, you know, what I can hear? Mm. Um, but I would think the Red Album actually would have probably fit that category more than any other one because I knew it was a little bit slower paced. It probably wouldn't be, you know, the kind of you know, album that most people would sort of cling to. Um, and yet that one won. So, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, it's difficult to say. You've, always, you've got a jury of 12 people and you never know what they're interested in, what they're listening for. That particular album had, you know, stunning string arrangements that Don Thompson did. Um, and, you know, maybe somebody, somebody on the jury that you're, you know, really appreciated that extra effort that went involved, you know, to getting those charts ready. And, you know, so if they had a musical knowledge, they would know that those, that that album took a little bit more, you know, out of everybody to get it done. And maybe they appreciated that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I honestly, I, I know what you're saying about an article. I've occasionally had that feeling more so when I'm performing, you know, mm. where you, and especially because you're dealing with a human instrument, you know, you, your voice is never going to be, you know, you can't, you can't say, I want to sound like this today. You're going to wake up and that voice is going to be whatever it is, you know, and you, you learn to work with that. But, um, but there's something about the studio, I think, because of the way we work in the studio. I have, I have time and I spread out a recording process for me takes a good year. So I never rush it. I take time and, I always, you know, by the time I finish with that product, I have really made sure that, you know, every attention to detail has been covered. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. That is six-time Juno nominee, two-time Juno winner, again nominated today, Hamilton's Diana Panton in the jazz vocal category. Uh, Diana, you know what? With, with, with two wins and six nominations, you have to be in the Canadian jazz vocal royalty department by now, right? I don't know. I have a long way to catch up to Diana Krall, that's for sure. 
I don't know what she's got, but there's a lot. <laughs> is, is there some rule that if you're a singer in Canada and you're named Diana, you must be in the jazz vocal sphere? I don't know, but sphere? this sounds good to me. It does. <laughs> Now you you're as I said off the top uh, when I was doing that uh, silly intro about by day because by day you really are a teacher across the street at Westdale. Yep, you teach what French right immersion? Yep, that's right. A- anything else? Uh, art and drama. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I was going to let you say it, and I'm puzzled. I'm baffled how you didn't include music in that list. I'm pretty much self-taught for music, so uh, you know just the the complexities of the music classroom, like you know conducting an orchestra or like telling someone how to play a trumpet would be probably beyond what I could do. So, But the the, the music faculty, the, the teachers in music at Westdale know what you do, right? Yes. They know about you haven't, this is not a secret that they're going to find out now because it's been in the paper or on the, on the air. Well, there's always some people who don't know, but the faculty know for sure. But you know, some of the students probably don't, but because um, I always work with grade nines and so they come in fresh, fresh faced every year and a lot of them don't know, but they... They'll know now, yeah. <laughs> do the well? Do, uh, do the teachers ever say anything to you when these kind of? You know, it was a snow day today, so they wouldn't have heard this. But yeah. even if they're asking for advice, do they ever? The music teachers ask you for any help with singing or anything mm-hmm. like that? No, not really. When I very first started, you know, the very first album I put out was in two thousand and five, which coincided with the beginning of my teaching um, at Westdale. And they, when they first arrived, they asked me, would you like to do the choir? And I was like, I really don't even know if I could, you know, <laughs> teach to do the choir. So, but no, I, since then, they, they kind of know. And, I, and I'm just also, between juggling the two things, it's, it keeps me pretty busy, actually. Oh, I'm guessing. I, yeah. do, does Westdale have musicals every year? Do they do drama? Do they do yep. those kind of things? Yep. And when you hear them and you hear some of the students sing, are there times when you go, wow, that kid is great? Or are there yeah. times when, honestly, you say... You know, I maybe I could step in and help here. There's something I could do to help this kid. I think they have, they do have professional like coaches come in and work with them. Um, but the this year they did Mamma Mia, and they there were some phenomenal singers in there. Great little singers, yeah. Now, I, how they didn't rope you into doing something for that, I don't know. But anyway, I, I, I don't know what role you would have played in Mamma Mia. But. As well, the si- the style of singing is really yes. different, you know, as well. So. Well, considering that other than you, most of our nominations from Hamilton are all in the rock genre, maybe it's time for you to branch out and try <laughs> some, uh, you know, have Diana as the rock singer now for next year's Juno. I'm an anomaly for Hamilton, <laughs> the hammer, right? I wanted to ask you about this though, because as, as I was looking this up today and trying to get this together, you have one of the more unusual middle names I've seen. I don't yeah. even know how you pronounce it. Tell me about your middle oh, name. Oh boy. Well, you're lucky because if you'd asked me this a few years ago, I would never have said it on the air. I, I was quite embarrassed about this in the meme growing up, but I, it's okay. I own it now. So um, it's Ariadne. And it means something. Well, yeah, my dad was um, fascinated with Greek and Roman mythology. So both my first and middle name come from there. So Diana is Roman, a Roman goddess, and Ariadne is a Greek goddess. Mortal, yeah. actually. She's mortal, but Diana's <laughs> Immortal, so right. So, Ari- say it again, Ariadne. Ariadne, yeah. and she was the daughter of King My- Minos, who yeah. married Dionysus. I mean, it's a it's a great story. Someone wants yeah. to look it up. It's, I I saw it and I went, I've never <laughs> seen that before, and I wanted yeah. to ask you about it. And, and, and again, it's your dad was just it was something that he had always wanted. Do you have siblings? Do they also have names like this? Well, no, I don't know. They they leave them all up on me. So no, my sister does not <laughs> name after any Greek or Roman god, but he did want to once name a cat or one of our cats Clytemnestra, and I was like, no. <laughs> hey, that's, a, that's not a name you can call no. the cat at any point. I can't even pronounce it. No. So that now, was ruled out, but he did end up with Pandora, which is still listed. Uh, yeah. So 
But yeah, no, he yeah, it was, it was interesting actually because um, I mean, I always knew Diana, Diana is um, is goddess of the moon, the hunt, and women, and um, I only found out I knew Ariadne's story, but um, I later found out that she's sometimes considered a representative of the stars. So. When I was working on the Moon and Stars album, that was kind of an interesting discovery that for is, me. That yeah. is. That mm-hmm. is. Will you be going, we only have a minute or so left here, will you yeah. be going, I wish we could do more, to the Junos this year? Yes, I just booked my spot on the Juno train. Nice. Because if I read something correctly, was it one of the times you were nominated that you didn't go because you were actually on stage during a per, doing a performance yeah, that night? right here in Hamilton. Oh, really? So, yep. Mm-hmm. And as you were on stage, was someone feeding you updates about whether you had won? Uh, nope. <laughs> nope. We just went on with the concert and I didn't win that year. So I, I didn't miss out on that. But, um, yeah, you know, if you, if you book a concert and I mean, I think now I'm a little bit more vigilant, you know, like I know when the, when the time is going to be, but back then, I mean, you just, you just put it in, you forgot all about it. Someone asked you to do a gig, you're like, okay. And then all of a sudden you're nominated, which you wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected. So, you know. Well, it is, uh, it is remarkable, as I say, six times. I don't know, maybe Arkells have been six times, I'm not sure, but uh, you are right up there now with the royalty of Hamilton music, and uh, it, is, it is amazing, especially considering how many of the kids you're teaching probably have no idea. Someone, someone from the school. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or they're going to have to put it up well, on the flashing actually, sign. All new classes starting on Friday, so all new students. So. I, I am trusting. They have a big sign, a flashing LED <laughs> sign on the front. I'm trusting the school will be smart enough to put it up there and, and really embarrass you for your students. Yeah. But you'll be able to see it from your office. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll look out the window. Yeah. Uh, Diana Panton. And by the way, go listen to her music. It is fantastic. Download it for legally uh, and enjoy her music. It's fantastic, Diana. Thanks, thanks for doing again this today. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on. 900 CHML. Let me bring in our buddy Bubba O'Neill from CHCA. Sir, how are you today? Oh, good. Excellent. So I'm talking about this report. So Anthony Davis, who's one of the big stars of the game, one of the big young stars, plays for the New Orleans Pelicans, which I still say is the dumbest name of any team in professional sports. But anyway, um, he has said, he demanded in the last few days that he wanted to be traded. He, I guess he doesn't like the direction the team is going, figures he's never going to win a championship. And so his agent comes out publicly and announces that Adrian wants to be, or Anthony wants to be traded. And then it comes out later that his agent specifies and says, by the way, if you're going to think about trading for my client, uh, he's not going to sign with you. He's going to be going to the Lakers in another year or so when he becomes a free agent. So take that under advisement, anything you want to do, if you're going to try and make any offer to trade for him. And Bobby, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm listening to this story and I'm thinking the NBA is broken. And the reason I say that, and I'm I'm sure you're going to disagree is if you're going to, this is a salary cap thing to me, because the NBA has created this situation that that says they have a salary cap to try and create parity, but they've given so many exclusions that they allow for these super teams to be given that players can basically decide where they want to go, and there's always room under the salary cap to fit every player who wants to go to a place. Um, I see where you're coming from, but I mean, I think the way they've set it up too, I mean... The player is actually going to take less by going to the Lakers, in this case, Anthony Davis, because under the current rules of the, of the NBA, the Supermax deal of two, what would be $240 million could be offered by the New Orleans Pelicans. So as it stands right now, for him to stay, 
the team that has the ownership rights, because remember, he does have one more year left on his contract. Yep. Uh, and, and, and as opposed to some other leagues, most of the NBA, they get done. They get their deals done as restricted free agents, as we know them in the National Hockey League. And they don't wait till you know, they become fully, you know, unrestricted in free agents. Because well, for the most part, you get nothing for them, right? So you're going to trade them um, but the year before. But as it stands, under their rules, the team that has the rights to the player can actually offer the most money. So, if Like in player, hockey. Like in hockey, you can ever, uh, offer an extra year if you're the guy, if, like yes, we saw with John I mean, Tavares, could have taken to me, it. Uh, to me, more money over the same term is, is, is more appealing. Of course it is. So... It is an advantage to the, for the player to stay there. Now, if the, the player chooses to take less money, I, I, I don't see anything wrong. With, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, this is a player that it was drafted by the New Orleans Pelicans. They've shown no sign of building a winner around this player, who is you know a five-time All Star in his six years of playing. I was actually so shocked that he was beaten out by Paul George for an All Star spot this year, but he will definitely get in as an All Star reserve. Sure, he will. Um, so, you know, I have no issue and, with and, him, and I, and, I, and I actually appreciate um, the the agent in this situation actually being upfront and showing full clarity that the player wishes to play in Los Angeles. Yeah, I have no issue with a guy who is in the situation he's in where the team has done no good things around him. I have no real issue with a player saying, I want to be traded, regardless of the sport. If you're on a team that over a number of years has shown itself to be completely incompetent, this is not a case like a Lindros where you don't even go to the team in the first place. All right, that's a different story. But if you've been there for a bunch of years and they're doing nothing, I got no issue with you saying, I want to be traded somewhere. The problem I have is when you say there's only really one team we're willing to go to because that then has destroyed the competitive balance of the league. The Pelicans, even despite themselves, now have no bargaining. They can't rebuild their team for this guy, and the other teams can't do anything. And if you had a, if you're going to, the problem is, Bubba, if you're going to have a salary cap, and I, if you want to have a salary cap, have a salary cap. I don't care. You can go baseball's route and have no salary cap and let the Yankees and Red Sox outbid everybody. But they do have a salary cap in baseball. Well, sort you of. To, you, if you spend more than the salary cap, you pay. Yeah. Well, you pay a, a tax, but it doesn't prevent you from getting players. Unlike in the NHL, for example, where the Leafs right now, if there was no salary cap or a baseball style salary cap in hockey, right. the Leafs by now probably would have traded for Drew Doughty from Los Angeles and a bunch of other guys that they could have taken and paid whatever money and said, fine, it's just money, we'll pay the tax. Either have a rule that says we're going to try and create some competitive balance with a salary cap or don't, but the NBA, I read through a pricey version of the NBA salary cap rules today. There are more exemptions in this thing than any human being could keep track of. I'm going to be honest with you here, I'm all for it. And let me tell you why. I'm, I'm, I'm in a free, I, I, in my mind, I like the free enterprise system. I like that, you know what, the New Yorks and the Chicagos and the Torontos and possibly uh, in hockey, um, Boston, so be it, the big money, the big money teams or the big city teams have the most money. And that's the way it goes. Because history is proven. Sometimes, no matter how much money is spent, the New York Rangers are the perfect example. Sure they are. Right? How, how much money they've spent in time, over time, over players and free agents, it does not guarantee you Well, anything, the Leafs, too. I right? mean, the, the Leafs, and, all those years, they picked up those old guys at the trade deadline yep. for big money, and, and they never and amounted did, to and, anything. And what did it get them, right? No matter what you do, 
drafting and taking care of your prospects and growing them and winning within that time of control, having control of your prospects is that are the teams, for the most part, that win. And I, I'm okay with this. I have no issue because, to me, competitive balance is not reality. It's not reality in the real world. And I think what you get when you get this, quote, competitive balance is this sort of general malaise middle ground. Yeah, mushy middle. Mushy middle of like what we have in the National Hockey League. And to me, and of course, they, they, they emphasize this by, with this, this, this system of, you know, two points for a win and one. Where you just, you, it's so hard. It's so hard to separate to be a really good team from being a really bad team. And I think that is a false sort of, it, 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 as you said, competitive, if you want, I mean, the, it, Gary Bettman will call it competitive balance, but I call it sort of capping teams. And I, I, look, I agree with you. But then if you're the NBA, why have a salary cap if your salary cap isn't really a salary cap? Because here's the thing. We've seen with Golden State, yeah, you're, you're right. You said a moment ago that he would have to take less. Well, it's not like he's eating food stamps. I mean, he's still going to make 25 or 26 or 27 million and you can still get five or six guys with that salary somehow under the cap and find exemptions and exclusions. He's going to go to LA. They're going to end up with four or five guys and find a way to get them all under the cap with these exemptions. It makes no sense anymore. I don't know. I, I think it is up now. To drop the, drop the cap. Drop the, the cap and let them all just go where they want if that's the case. And then I'd be okay with it because then it's not pretending that it's something it's not. But at the end of the day, it's up to the Pelicans now to go find and satisfy because now they're under no pressure to trade. The, trade. The, I mean, they own the rights to the guy. So they technically don't have to trade him till the end of next year if they so choose. But with the, with the sort of uh, demand, if you want to call it, or the request from the player and the agent of that, you know what, I don't, I don't see my future here, they now have plenty of time to negotiate and quite possibly steal from, from desperate teams that are, feel like they're on the brink of winning. Like the Raptors. We're, we're hearing that the Raptors, the Milwaukee Bucks, the New York Knicks, and L.A. Lakers are all willing to do whatever it takes to get this guy in here for the next year and a half, as you said, regardless of the fact that he, he probably will ship out to another team at the end of his term of his contract. So, for me, the Pelicans have the ability with a smart general manager to benefit from this. See, I, I would argue again that if you're going to have a, a salary cap and, and Anthony Davis wants to go to the Lakers and you've got... Um, LeBron there already. If he really wants to play in L.A., mm-hmm. he can play for $3 million a year, whatever amount they have under the salary cap. Now, that used, people would say, well, that's insane. He's, a, he's one of the best players in the league. I get that. But you, if you're going to have a salary cap, have it mean something. And if a guy wants to play so desperately in a place under that cap, under those rules, then he plays for that amount of money and makes the rest in endorsements or we're doing movies or whatever else he wants to do. Well, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm under the belief that uh, the John Tavares um, contract is heavily bonus-laden. Um, there was a proposal given to Steven Stamkos two years ago, when, three years ago when he was a, actually two years ago, when he was a free agent and the lease recording him. That had all kinds of amazing you know, legal mumbo-jumbo. Canadian of, Tire. He was going to get money from Canadian Tire as a sponsor, guaranteed. To circumvent. So, I mean, no matter what, Scott, we have seen this time and time again in every sport that has a salary cap. 
There are ways to circumvent the cap. The NBA is not exclusive in this. The National Hockey League have been doing it too. There are very smart people, at least very not smarter than you, but at least smarter than I, on ways to make this work and get and get players paid what they actually want to, whether it or not it's actually from uh, uh, the uh, an actual um, average salary, but or it's bonus laden, or someone else is is paying the bill. Players are still going to get paid. I would, I would love, and it's never going to happen because they don't want to do this. The owners who want to make their money don't want to do this. I would love if every sport said, we're not having a salary cap. As you said, you want to pay the player, fine. You don't want to pay the player, fine. And then there's no pretending that somehow, there's no pretending that somehow this is all fair and this is all even because we've seen that it's not. There are teams in the NBA, Bubba. Now, Toronto has clawed its way up so it's now a good team but there are teams in the NBA that you know as well as I do on day one of the season they have less than zero percent chance of winning a championship and I, that's, I'm, again I'm okay with that, that that's, there's, so, there's that's fine have, but don't pretend have and, have and that's no different than Major League Baseball Right? Like you mean, That's right, but, but don't but, pretend but don't but, pretend that somehow it's all equal and equitable when there's no chance yeah, that, that's my point it seems the NBA seems to be trying to tell its fans Hey, look! Every team has an equal shot when the season starts, and we all know that's a load of hooey. But, but Scott, at the end of the day, are people turning off their TVs? Are people not going to games? Oh, and if you want to load up a team because a player has decided to do this, and you don't have a salary cap, and you say, "Knock yourself out!" You want to build super teams? Build super teams. No, people aren't going to turn off their TV. They watch the Golden State and, Warriors. And, 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 and I'm not even talking about those. I mean, I mean, remember and remember the Golden State Warriors. I mean, up until the last, you know, half decade or so, they weren't anything special. They were one of the second sisters in California, right? And they just got smart, and they figured, figured ways out, to, you know, and they landed good players, uh, drafted good players, and, and turned themselves into, you know, arguably one of the bigger dynasties we've seen in, in basketball in some time. It's possible to do this for if you're a lower-level team. But you've got to be smart about the way you, you, you draft, the way you pick up players. We've seen Kansas City Royals win a, win a World Series with a team that you know, didn't spend a whole heck of a lot of money. For many, many years, we saw the Tampa Bay Rays, one of the lowest-budget fr- franchises in sports, who were regularly making trips to the postseason. So, I, to me, how much money is spent is, is definitely a factor. And I see what you're saying about the salary cap, but at the end of the day, it, it's in a way it's all plastic anyway because teams are going to find the way to do whatever they want, however they want. I appreciate your segue to baseball because I want to go there next for a moment or two. Let me read you, let me list to you what is likely, as of right now, uh, spring training, pitchers and catchers report in just over two weeks, two and a half weeks. If... That If we move ahead and nothing happens in Blue Jay land of any significance, here is probably going to be your starting lineup for the Blue Jays. <laughs> Leading off until he's injured in the second game of the season, Devin Travis, Devon Tra- Devin Travis, uh, Randall Gritchick, Justin Smoke, Kendra's Morales, Teoscar Hernandez, Kevin Pillar, Brandon Drury, Danny Jansen, Lourdes Guriel Jr. Has there ever been a more bleak start to a spring training when you look at the division with the Yankees and the Red Sox and you look at this group. Now, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to appear somewhere during the season for sure. 
But right now, Baba, you could put you and I could put together a combined CHML CHCH spectator softball team, and we might be competitive with this group. I am absolutely disappointed and shocked in you that you are not excited about today's signing of Freddie Galvis. Yeah, Freddie Galvis. I, I, this is this to me is the bleakest moment in the last twenty five years of Blue Jay history. It really is, and there were some bad years, but there were always at least indications that they were trying to win. They're they're not even pretending at this point that they're trying to win. But but we've seen this. Okay, and I'm going to switch sports slightly, but use it for an example. You need the Blue Jays need to do this. We saw a team that had a taste for two years, and you could, and we could argue till the cows come home that one of those teams had a really, really good shot at sure winning the did. World Series. 2015, right? they should have won it. And they, yeah, you know what? And should have won it is fair. But they bottomed out. They were the oldest team in Major League Baseball last year, and they were going nowhere, and they were sinking. The manager was done. You need to clean house. We saw this... Three years ago, four years ago, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, when P.A. Parento was the leading scorer for the Toronto Maple Leafs, yeah. and you got a bunch of guys on a bunch of one-year deals, and then you just spent them in the, in the meantime, you got a bunch of old guys or a bunch of spare parts, and just said, look, here's an opportunity. I'm going to give you a one-year deal. And Freddie Galvez is a perfect opportunity here. I'm going to sign you to a one-year deal. Go max yourself out and then go put yourself out in the open market next year. In the meantime, you are grooming the young kids that are going to be Blue Jay stars for the next 10 years. They need to do this right now. They can't. And on top of that, you just said it yourself. They're in the Ameri- they are in the American League East with the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. And I will give the New York Yankees a whole lot of credit because remember what they did three years ago? The same thing the Blue Jays are doing. They're, those teams were horrible. Except they had, they had prospects. Yes, there, there is now. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is is the number one prospect in baseball. So you, you're trying not to completely screw him up. Mm-hmm. Which when they do call him up, he is literally going to be surrounded by the Sisters of Mary Junior softball team. The, the guy but, is going to be left out there so exposed. Going, Scott, I don't know about you, but I keep hearing from the Baseball of America that the Blue Jays have the best young talent in Major League Baseball. Number one across the board and not just not just Guerrero other players as well too and they so said that is, when is, they said is, that when when Anthopolis was dealing those guys away that they were all all of them were super prospects he cleaned out the best system in baseball how many of those guys that Alex Anthopolis traded are significant major league players today I, and I don't zero know. I, no, zero not, not, many. not but, but, one but we're, we do see guys like Bichette and there's other guys again I, 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 I'd have to go research them again I don't know them off the top of my head but I mean these are people smarter than I that know the minor league systems better. And it's just not Guerrero that the Blue Jays have a, have a, have a, just a, an abundance of young players that are not ready yet that will be in time. And you've got to give the – I mean, you, you can't buy a team in this situation for the Blue Jays. You can't. You can groom these young kids and then get some significant free agents when the time is right, just as Alex Anthopoulos did it when the time is ready to take that gamble – I'm sure the Blue Jays will, as we're seeing maybe with the Raptors as they try to go after an Anthony Davis. I, my fear you on have this, to be patient. my fear on this, is the patience thing. 
Vlad Guerrero is has got a limited window with the Blue Jays because you and I, I th- well, maybe you don't agree. I absolutely believe the Blue Jays will not pay him ultimately when it comes when he becomes a free agent in six or seven years. Now that seems like a long time. There's no way that the Blue Jays are going to be the team that gives him the $400 million or whatever deal, assuming he turns out to be anywhere close to the player that he is. They're I, I not feel, going to. You know what? I feel like, I feel like they will. And, and, and if, if he turns out to be everything that everyone seems to think he is, I feel like there's, a, there's a, some type of bond here with this Blue Jays. They, they feel like this is their own guy. This is their own developed product. And if they are winning... And I think, and I think this is fair to say, if they are close, and if they are, if, if this is the 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 stud of the team, well, they will be in a position where they have to pay him. Or you have an Anthony Davis, where he four years in says, "I am surrounded by basket cases. Get me out of here. I want to be gone." Right. And, and and that could happen. I don't I don't know the guy. I don't know what his attitude is like. I don't know if he's a guy who's going to be able to handle some losing for a few years. I just look around at this lineup and I think, Bubba, I agree with you. I agree on the sense you don't go and blow your entire budget on a bunch of free agents for nothing. But this is really scraping barnacles off the bottom of the boat. You, you could have gone to a yard sale and found this lineup. This is, this is an, for a team that was drawing 45,000 people two years ago, this is embarrassing. And you could at is, least is put a competitive product on the not, field. Or is, it, or is it being realistic? Is it being realistic? In base, do, do, you, do you want the Blue Jays, and I say this quite honestly, do, the, do you want the Blue Jays to be what the Maple and we just talked about this seconds ago, do you want them to be what the, Blue, what the Maple Leafs were 20, you know, for, a, for, the, for a better part of 15, 20 years ago? By just getting guys that were just good enough, so they could barely get into the playoffs, or maybe make the playoffs. No, nope. that doesn't that doesn't work. No, but there's you, a big at difference. Some, at some point, you have to bottom out. But there's a and, big difference. The big difference is this, and it's twofold. The first one is what we've talked about. Baseball has no salary cap. You need money. And when the Blue Jays don't win and they have a terrible team, we saw what happened last year. The attendance dropped off by ten thousand a game, and it was about eight thousand down from the year before. Sure. That's real money that they will not be then having to spend. That's the first thing. You need to at least be competitive enough to put some people into the seats so that you have some money. The second part is, unlike in hockey when the Leafs bottomed out and got Austin Matthews, baseball has a draft. Baseball does it the same way. The bottom team gets the superstar player. The difference is the superstar player comes at such an exorbitantly high cost to sign the first overall guy that that often teams won't choose the best player because they know they can't sign him. So you don't necessarily get the Austin Matthews. You get someone else. And, and I mean, and there is some truth to that, absolutely. And I think all uh, we also see in this, and, that, and this is just the nature of the sport, where guys that are drafted generally don't end up with the team for a number of years. Where sometimes in the National Hockey League or in the NBA, the guys show up immediately after being drafted. Yep. Football, the same sort of thing. But that's just the nature of the sport. Uh, I just think this is, I'm, I'm giving them a free pass this year because I feel like this is something that needed to happen to this team. Uh, they weren't going anywhere with a bunch of guys that, you know, were, there were, you know, some former all-stars that, you know, just, you know, got old and got old real quick. So I just think you're going to sell hope right now. Now, you can't sell hope forever. You can't, the Blue Jays can't sit there and tell all their fans, you know, oh, this is the third year of, of, of doing this. 
Now, I would hope that this is a calculated plan by the by by the management of the Blue Jays, their new manager, um, Shapiro, that, all these guys. That, that, that new that, manager, boy, he he's he's going to be glad he's living in a country where there's legalized <laughs> cannabis. <laughs> Because this is going to be the longest summer of his life. But let's hope he's a teacher, and let's hope he's he knows that what he's in for. That this is going to be a year of teaching, and that there's you know what this team may win sixty five, seventy games. Thirty, uh, you know. Oh, stop! It, stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Thirty was the over under on Devin Travis being able to play this year, and I've got him at the under. Devin <laughs> yeah. Travis is going to suffer a season ending injury on the first warm up move of spring training, and will not be able to play at all. Anyway, well, I he, he I mean, who's it? Norris that we gave Daniel to, Norris, yep, yeah, to to the Tigers. Yeah, I he's mean, the guy. The guy has unbelievable offensive upsides, but his body, his knees are bad. He's got a bad shoulder. It's just, it's really unfortunate because I see a lot of talent in that guy, especially offensive talent. But his body will not allow him to, to you know, to play just like Freddie Galvis did last year, playing 162 games last year. Freddie Galvis, Blue Jays legend. He hasn't played a game yet, but he's already their best player and a legend. Defensive stopper, Scott. You're going to learn to like this guy. (laughs) I'll take a break and I'll ponder that one. Uh, And while we're doing this, we'll get the new Blue Jays manager the uh, phone numbers for the best cannabis places in town just to ease his pain. Bubba O'Neill from CHH, always appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Yeah, just one quick thing. I I, I forgot to tell you, um, and I know we talked about this last week, but I just hope you're ready for next year. When Derek Jeter gets 100% to get into the Hall <laughs> Oh, he's game. getting 104%. Yeah, I, just hope you, I just hope you're ready for that. He's, voters who aren't even registered are going to be voting for him. Some guys get two votes for Derek Jeter. <laughs> we'll, we'll argue about this one later. Right. Bubba O'Neill, appreciate it. Thanks. Have a pleasure. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.